standing if you want, because uh, if you sit down, I'm going to have you stand up. So, um, and uh, for the reading of God's Word, which by the way, uh, that's not just something we do, because that's just what we do. Uh, it actually comes from the Old Testament, uh, when Ezra uh, read from the scroll found in the temple. And so they stood for the reading of God's Word. I just wanted to explain that to you as to why we do that. So you feel better now? Okay, good. I uh, want to welcome those of you. You don't have to stand online, unless you want to, of course. Uh, but we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're joining with us on Sunday mornings. We're now in First John in our verse-by-verse study. And today's text is chapter 1 beginning in verse 4, and we'll go through to verse 7. The Apostle John is continuing now, and writes by the Holy Spirit, verse 4, We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him, and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim, verse 6, to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Let's pray, if you would, please join with me. Father, thank you so, so much, Lord. Lord, this uh, passage that we have before us this morning is a word fitly spoken for such a time as this for us today. That's why we're here today, Lord. We know that there's something here that you want us to hear, and not just hear, but heed, take heed to. Lord, I pray that you would, as only you can, and are always so faithful to, just minister to us and speak to us and feed us from the bread of life by the Holy Spirit. Lord, especially for those who are going through a very difficult time, Lord. I just pray that you'll encourage them in and through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So what I want to talk with you about today is how it is that being genuinely full of joy is absolutely attainable in our lives as Christians. The fullness of joy. Or as John writes, and some of your translations render it, that your joy will be complete, full, joyful, full of joy. Here the Apostle John, by the Spirit, writes clearly and even simply concerning the stated purpose of this, his first letter. I mean, right out of the chute, he makes it very clear that the intended purpose of even writing this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is that they would have fullness of joy, that their joy would be complete. This fullness of joy that is ours, if we would but avail ourselves. It's not an automatic, insert tab A, slot B, you get C, which is joy. No, there is, if you will, a precondition. This is a conditional promise, the fullness of joy that is ours. We have unfettered access to the fullness of joy, but sadly we do not avail ourselves of it. So there are specific ways to avail ourselves of it. And we're going to see four. 
And they are as follows in order. Verse 4, being in His presence. Verse 5, walking in His light. Verse 6, living in His truth. And verse 7, purifying in His blood. You want to experience the fullness of joy? Then this is how. This is how. Let's start with the first one in verse 4, being in His presence. Ah. So we have a problem though, because what John writes here can be easily missed at first read, and this for several reasons, not the least of which is that we really don't understand the true meaning of joy. Or if we think we understand the true meaning of joy, we might be dismissive of it. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we read or hear about the fullness of joy or our joy being complete, we don't connect the dots, as it were, as it relates to the difference between joy and happiness. Please, please, please. Joy is not synonymous with happiness. Did you know that the word happiness comes from the root word happenstance? Do you know what happenstance means? It's akin to and the root of circumstance, meaning that you can be happy if, you can be happy when, you can be happy only when the circumstances are such that you can be happy. Well, now listen, if I'm going to live my Christian life that way, being only happy, happy when the circumstances warrant it, I'll just speak for myself, because you know how I am. I'll take one for the team. I'm happy maybe two minutes a day. Do you feel me? No, because you understand, right? Why? No, wait, wait, let, let's back up. Let's try that again. You, if, if I have to live my life on the basis of my circumstances dictating and determining my happiness, how often am I going to be happy? Because the circumstances are going, what are you so happy about? You can't be happy right now. You see what's going on? Yeah, that's right. So we get baptized in lemon juice. And uh, that's happiness. That's not joy. What's the difference? Oh, joy. It is not predicated upon what's going on in my life. In fact, if you ask James about it, you know what he would tell you. You can have pure joy. You can consider it pure joy when you go through fiery trials. What? You know which verse I'm talking about, right? I mean, really? Consider it pure joy when I encounter trials of various kinds? What kind of sick morbid, cruel thing is that to say? I'm not considering it pure joy. Do you know what I'm going through? Consider it pure joy. Am I having too much fun with this? I might be. It's okay. It's sanctified. But you have to understand the qualifier, and it makes everything fall into place. You can consider it pure joy knowing, keyword, knowing that in and through that trial, God is going to give you the endurance and the perseverance to make it through that trial. Wait, I need endurance. I need perseverance. Lord, I need to get through this trial. Perfect. I'm going to give it to you. You are? Yeah. How? Through the trial. Wait, is there a, another way? No. I'm going to give you that which you need to get through the trial, in and through the trial, and that's how you're going to get through the trial. 
That did not work, but oh, I think you got it. You're a smart bunch. So in other words, you're going through something very difficult. And please, I don't mean to make light of it. I think you know my heart in that regard. You're going through something very painful, something very difficult. Do you realize that this joy that John is writing about is available for you? It is available to you. It is obtainable by you. It is achievable, if I can say it that way. You can have it for the asking. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. Well, listen, I may not know what you're going through, but God does. And you can have joy in the midst of that. In fact, I'll take it further and lovingly suggest that the joy, the cup of joy that you can drink from in that trial is the joy unspeakable, complete in its fullness that you could not otherwise taste from had it not been from that cup of suffering. You drink deeply in ways that you could not have otherwise drunk. That's the, the cup of joy. Well, uh, why is that so? Well, John is going to sort of explain that to us. Once we understand the difference between happiness and joy, and we make that distinction that joy is not happiness, that joy is not predicated upon the circumstances in my life, how is it then that joy is not predicated upon the trials and the difficulties in my life. Because when you're going through a trial, what do you do? You go to the Lord. You're in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to just ask a, it's a rhetorical question. I want you to think this through. And as I ask it, I think you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Think back to some of the most painful trials you've had in your life, and maybe it's presently <laughs> in your life. Can you remember how close you were to the Lord during that trial? So much so that when the trial ended, and thank God trials do end. <laughs> I like how someone said, my favorite words in all of the Bible are, and it came to pass not it came to stay. Aren't you so glad it doesn't say that? So, but when the trial has ended, and on the tail end of it, you look back on it. And while you would never want to have to go through that again, you would never trade what you felt and experienced in the presence of the Lord during that trial for anything. The closeness you had I mean, you have these fond memories of just how close you were to the Lord during that time. And by the way, it's in those times that not only are we the closest to Him, but He's the closest to us. He's close to the brokenhearted. In the Gospels, I'm always just, I don't want, astonished, maybe is not the right word, but for lack of a better one, I'm just, taken back by how Jesus was always attracted to the least, the last, the lame, the blind, the crippled, those who needed a physician. He's the great physician. And He would go out of His way for these people who were really hurting and really broken and needed comfort and healing. And how many people did He heal? We're told that the volume of the books could not contain all of the things that Jesus did. So He's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to us in those times as we are close to Him in those times. Well, the way to have this fullness of joy is to be in His presence. Can I draw your attention to Psalm 1611? This is uh, 
Well, it kind of goes along with what Copono uh, prayed and shared. By the way, the worship today. God, you're so good. Sorry, not really. Um, he inhabits the praises of His people. When there are two or more gathered and we are praising and worshiping Him, He's in our midst. Now stay with me. Psalm 1611, watch this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I'm not a formula guy. I'm not a, again, insert tab A, slot B guy. But this is kind of like that. So if He inhabits the praises of His people, and His presence is fullness of joy, then wouldn't it stand to reason that when we praise Him, He inhabits our praises. That means He's present. And in His presence there's fullness of joy. I'll take me some of that. I could use me some of that. I, I could use me some joy. Well, that's where it is to be found. That's how it's to be found. You know, I was thinking about this recently that there's been times in my life where, you know, you just, you just don't feel like it. Um, I'll be careful here, because you know how, how on Thursday nights for a midweek, man, you've had one of those days. And you get home, and it's like, man, the Bible study's in, what, an hour and a half, and you get something to eat, and then a drowsiness out of nowhere sets upon you. And the eyelids become heavy like never before in that moment. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I think I'll just watch online. It's okay if you do, by the way. God's a forgiving God. But, you know, but, but for those who do come, you don't feel like it. Okay, I got to confess, because you're looking at me with that look. I know that look. I have Thursdays, but they're long days for me. I'm studying, preparing. I still got pastoral care and administrative and all of the above. And about four o'clock, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm crying out to the Lord, Oh God, I don't feel like going. You have to. You're the teacher. You're teaching the Bible study. But oh, when I get here, when you get here, Pono gets up here. I mean, start to worship. You're like, oh, where did the drowsiness go? Hmm. Hmm. All of a sudden, I, I didn't feel like it then. The feelings. Whoa. Why is that? Because you're praising the Lord, and He inhabits the praises of His people. And in His presence, when we praise Him, His fullness of joy. That's what you're experiencing. The joy of the Lord. Ha! In the presence of the Lord. You know how it is when you, by the way, this is true. True story. Not the, I shouldn't have introduced it that way, because then it's like somebody says, can I be honest with you? I always think, you've been lying to me up to this point? Let me, let me try this again. Just bear with me. Um, boy, I really botched that one, didn't I? Let me try to see if I can recover this. <laughs> uh, when you come and you start to worship the Lord and you lift your hands, this is, research has shown this. Guys, pay attention. When you raise your hands, you raise your testosterone levels significantly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a physiological. I mean, come on, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So if you see me walking around before the service, Capono, <laughs> I'm worshiping, but I need to get my testosterone up a little bit. No, but that's the way God designed us. 
And this, this comports, by the way, with prayer, another topic for another time. But you know, I always get a kick out of secular researchers. But we, we have discovered new findings, reports have found that meditation increases your sense of well-being. Really? How much money did you spend on that study? Because it's right here. I could have told you that, Philippians 4, 6 through 8, right here. Anyway, enough of my problems. When you pray, it, there's a physiological change in you. It's been said that prayer changes the prayer. That's a play on words, obviously. You got that, right? Well, the same thing is true when it comes to joy. When you praise Him, there's a physiological change in you. The feelings follow. I think about the letter to the church of Ephesus, the first of seven churches. The Ephesians church, by the way, written 35 years after the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians that we have in our Bibles. 35 years later, John on the island of Patmos, this same John, by the way, is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write seven letters to seven churches, of which Ephesus is the first. And they had left, not lost, their first love. So what's the solution? The solution is to remember, to repent, and to repeat. The first works, what worked at first. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, no, do it, and the feelings will follow. You know, I don't really feel like praising God right now. Praise Him. and watch what will happen. I don't feel like getting in the Word. Well, get in the Word and see what will happen. I don't feel like praying. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to have to do a teaching on prayer just for that. But you don't feel like praying, huh? Could it be, and I say this lovingly, and I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm going to look down when I do this again. Could it be that you've complicated prayer and made it something it was never intended to be. You know what prayer is simply? It's just talking with God. It's not a got to, it's a get to. Think about that. I get to talk to the Creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, anytime. I never get voicemail. I never get the secretarial screen. I don't, I don't even get two rings. He already knows what I'm going to call, because I know people in high places. <laughs> so do you. And you can access Him anytime. And He knows when you're going to call. But you know how it is when you call somebody, they don't, they, they don't even let it ring. Just, hello, whoa, it takes you back, right? Because you're waiting for them to, actually you're waiting for the voicemail. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't have one of those automated phone systems? These, are they getting worse? Is it just me, or are they getting worse? The other day, I don't know how long I spent. You know what? Your, your phone tells you how long you've been on that call. I looked at it. it was, I know it was over 15 minutes. I hadn't even got to a real person yet. Press 3 if it's partly cloudy, windward Malka showers, 3. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Here's my point. <laughs> we have access to the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that in them is at any time for anything. We, we don't have to have an appointment. We can go into His presence boldly before His throne of grace, not arrogantly, boldly, with confidence, not arrogance, confidence in our time of need. And we can be in the presence of the Lord anywhere, anytime. And that's where joy is to be found. I'm going to flip it around and then we'll move on. If that's where joy can be found, then wouldn't it stand to reason that when we're not in His presence, that's why no joy can be found. So this explains the joyless Christian life. And again, please, I, I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of this. If you make joy synonymous with happiness, you, you'll never get it. 
Because joy says, I know everything is falling apart around me, but I can still have joy, the joy of the Lord. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Nehemiah, it's in Nehemiah 8.11, say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, my strength. Here's the second one, verse 5, walking in His light. Now, I realize this might seem like a firm grasp of the obvious, but the fact of the matter is we will never know joy if we're in darkness. And here's why. God is light. Not God has light. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. God is love. It's not that God has love. No, God is love. That's who He is. And God is light. And when we're in His presence and in His light, then the fullness of joy will supernaturally ensue. It's a supernatural thing. Don't look for it in the realm of the natural. Don't try to comprehend it logically. It's spiritually. It's when Jesus said, I, I come to give you peace, not as the world gives. The peace that I have to give you is not like the world. The peace that I have for you is the real deal. And like joy, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, I call them the big three. They go together. So too with the peace of God, from the God of peace, as Paul writes to the Philippians, it's not predicated or contingent upon anything. It's the peace that Paul said and described as Jesus said, I came to give, that surpasses human understanding. You know what that means? Let me put it in in these terms. This peace has to go over your head. Let me try that again. (laughs) It has to go over your head, because if you try to wrap your head around it, your head is going to go, no. This this makes absolutely no sense, logically, in the natural. Peace, joy, no. So God says, okay, we're going to have to bypass, we're going to have to go over the head, do a run around, and go right to the heart. And this is how Paul writes it by the Spirit. It's going to be that supernatural peace that keeps your hearts and minds. This peace that transcends human understanding. You couldn't logically understand it even if you tried, because it's supernatural. It's the peace that transcends, supersedes human understanding, and goes straight to the heart. And then once it gets to the heart, then it keeps your heart and mind. Go ahead, come back in, mind. We had to go around you, because you wouldn't have allowed this supernatural peace in the logical. So we had to go right to the heart. And now that's the peace of God, from the God of peace, that keeps your heart and mind totally at peace. Supernatural peace. Yeah, but you see, that doesn't matter. Yeah, but no. no. Yeah, but did you see the email I got? Yeah, I did see that, actually. Uh, But still, I can have joy. I can have peace, not as the world gives. Now, God is light, and when we're in His presence and walking in His light, that joy, fullness of joy, joyful, I know this is deeply profound, joyful means full of joy. Are we good with that? You got that, right? You connected those dots? Okay. Joyful, full of joy, supernatural, right? Okay. Now I'm going to have to flip it around again. The joy of the Lord and the light from the Lord go together, whereas conversely, darkness and depression go together. Do you see the contrast between walking in light and walking in darkness? When you're in darkness, just as supernatural joy will ensue when you're walking in the light, 
so too will depression ensue when you're walking in the darkness. Now this is going to tie into our third one in verse 6, which is living by His truth. Now what John writes here is going to, I hope, just tie it all together and make it all make sense as it relates to, listen carefully, the truth. What do you mean, the truth? Well, no, that's uh, sadly, the truth has been profaned and even perverted. What do you mean? Well, have you, have you heard, I've noticed an uptick in this as of late. Um, it goes along the lines of, well, this is my truth. Oh. Do you realize when someone says that, what they're actually saying? Um, this is my truth. Well, wait a minute. It's not the truth, though. No, but it's my truth. No, 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 no. You know, indulge me, will you? Because it sounds like you've had this conversation, haven't you? Well, that's my truth. Yeah, but it's not the truth. No, but it's my truth. Well, it's not truth. You're, you're self-deceived. Again, this is deeply profound. You know what self-deceived means? It means that you've deceived yourself. In other words, you've lied to yourself, telling yourself, well, this is my truth, and you've believed your own lie, which is why now it's my truth. Jesus said no. I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Aren't you glad He didn't say, I am a truth? We got a lot of problems if He had said that. I know I'm being facetious, but you get the point. No, the truth. Uh, you know the armor, Ephesians 6, just uh, real quick. Uh, we are so familiar with this uh, spiritual armor, aren't we? We could probably all, to a person, recite each armor and its representation spiritually. You got the breastplate of righteousness protecting the heart. You have the helmet of salvation protecting the mind. You have the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. You have the shield of faith, which incidentally, above all, not because it's more important than all the other pieces of the armor, but rather you would take that shield above all of you, lock it tongue and groove, and create an impenetrable forces, force uh, fr from the, and shield from the fiery arrows, which was the military weaponry of the day, that the evil one would fire at you. And interesting, the, the, the shields were wood and tongue and groove, and they would dip them in water, a type of the word, and it would extinguish. Notice Paul's very careful about using that word extinguish the flaming arrows from the evil one with the shield of faith put up above all of you, locked tongue and groove, impenetrable, extinguish the flaming arrows. Now you've got one other piece of the armor, and it's the most important piece, I would argue, it's the belt of truth. Why? Because the belt is what held everything together. Stay with me. It connected everything. Even the helmet, when not worn, would be hooked on the belt. The sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon, in the belt. The breastplate connected to the belt. You see where I'm going with this? The truth, the truth holds everything together. And so too is this true in our lives as Christians. Now, you're probably asking the question, because I can read your minds. Wait, I mean, what does this have to do with joy? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to answer the question. Christians, though truly saved, truly saved, can still live a lie and as such be out of fellowship with the Lord and each other, and walk in darkness with no joy. 
I have a treasured classic in my library from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones titled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cure. It is a reference for me. I've read it and I reference it, and it's a go-to for me, because spiritual depression is very real, by the way. And I think we do err greatly, especially as pastors, when we're dismissive of those who struggle with depression, especially when it's couched in terms of, well, if you had enough faith. No, no. Depression is a very real thing. Keep in mind, we're fallen, right? Our minds are fallen. Our bodies are fallen. And again, I, not to continue to quote secular research that totally plagiarized, stole, hijacked is a better word. I like that word better, the Bible. But research has shown that uh, there's um, uh, actually an increase now in uh, depression. Anxiety is a big one, a big one. Fear, very real. I, I, I can testify, I've confessed to you very openly, and I hope it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable. But I, I'm walking in victory, but I would be disingenuous at best and dishonest at worst if I stood up here before you and told you that I don't struggle sometimes with fear, worry. I'm a very good worry. I have a PhD in worry, by the way. Anxiety. Uh, thankfully, I've tasted from the cup of depression only a few times in my life. I don't struggle with deep depression. I do know many who do. But uh, depression is very real. And, um, but God, He's the God who heals. He's the great physician, and He cares. I just want to share with you uh, some of what Martin Lloyd-Jones has to say in his book. I think it's so apropos in this regard. He says, if you are at all depressed at this moment, you should make certain that there is no obvious cause for the absence of joyous feelings. For instance, if you are guilty of sin, you are going to be miserable. <laughs> The way of the transgressor is hard, the Scriptures say. If you think that you can be a Christian and exert your own will and follow your own likes and dislikes, your Christian life is going to be a miserable one. You're still a Christian, you're still saved, but you're going to be a miserable Christian, a joyless Christian. He goes on to say, there is no need to argue about it. It follows as the night, the day, that if you are harboring some favorite sin, if you are holding on to something that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of through your conscience, you will not be joyful. And there's only one thing to do. Confess it, acknowledge it, repent, change of mind. Go to God at once and confess your sin, open your heart, bear your soul, tell Him all about it, hold nothing back, and then believe that because you have done so, He forgives you. First John 1 9. That's next week, Lord willing. Am I pointing it? I'm not pointing. I didn't mean to. We only got to verse 7 today, but next week, Lord willing, verse 9. It's been referred to affectionately as the Christian bar of soap. You know the verse? Jones quotes it, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All. All? Yeah. All I have to do is confess. This is a good deal. This is two for one. No, it is. I, I'm sorry that, if that's crass, but all I have to do is confess. One thing. All I got to do is confess. And I need live no longer in the darkness and condemnation of my sin, as it takes me to get to the cross where that sin was paid for. And as soon as I get there, and the sooner the better, as soon as I get there, He's at the ready, and it's 
instant. I'm forgiven. See, the enemy doesn't want you to remember that. In fact, that's what that, here's what that looks like. You, you blow it bad, bad, really bad. Don't use your imagination too much on this, okay. And here's the enemy right there going, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about this one. You might want to just kind of lay low, because this is pretty bad. And He'll keep you from the cross where that sin was paid for, and where forgiveness awaits, instant forgiveness awaits. And this is the two for one. You'll forgive me if this sounds like an infomercial, and there's more. (laughs) That's not all. So instant forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. I'll take both. How about you? Right? Well, wait a minute, Pastor, not so fast here. Uh, And I'm not going to preach next Sunday's sermon today, though I could. (laughs) But um, I do think that it would be important to expound on this when we get to verse 9, Lord willing, next week. But here's the argument, and I want to I want to deal with this right here and right now, and we'll talk about this next week. Because there are those who will challenge you on 1 John 1, 9, and they'll say something like this to you, "Uh, it's not that easy. it's not, because if you tell people that all they have to do is confess their sins, and they're forgiven instantly, and cleansed from all their unrighteousness, you know what they're going to do? They're just going to sin. Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, but that's my truth. No, it's, it's, uh, it's wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Why is it wrong? Because it doesn't work that way. Why? Because when you've tasted of the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the cleansing, the purifying of God, you're ruined. Because now you don't want to sin against that love. You know what the fear of the Lord means? I think this is another one that we totally miss. I mean, certainly it means the reverent awe of God. But, and we know from the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is that you fear doing anything that would grieve the heart of God, because He's been so gracious to you. There's been times where that other shoe should have dropped, as they say, where you knew you just wait till your heavenly Father comes home. (laughs) You're going to get a licking man, and then there's no licking man. In fact, He just, where did sin abound, grace does much more abound, and He just shows you His grace and His mercy and His love, and that just ruins you. It's the kindness of God, Romans 2, 4, that leads a man to repentance. Not the justice of God, the discipline of God. I'm actually doing next week's sermon, so I'm going to stop right there. Let me finish this magnificent quote from Lloyd-Jones. He goes on to say, if unconfessed sin is the cause of your joylessness, I should be wasting my time and yours by going on with my list of other causes. How many are trapped at this point? Let us be perfectly clear about it. Let your conscience speak to you. Listen to the voice of God as He speaks through the Spirit that is within you. And if He's placing his finger upon something, get rid of it. Let him have access to it. He, 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 he's, and he's always so gentle about it, isn't he? He just puts his finger on that area in your life. And as if to say, JD, I'll use myself again. Uh, JD, 
this is why you don't have the joy that I want you to have. This is, it, he puts his finger on it. And we cringe, right? We wince. <sighs> I knew it. Put his finger on that's, that's what's keeping you from the fullness of joy. Let's get it out. Let's remove it. Is it going to hurt? Well, <laughs> it depends. But it's the surgical sword instrument of God's Word that cuts between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, ever so precision. And the, the great physician surgically cuts in and cuts out that which could kill us and certainly kill our joy. It's got to come out like before it spreads. And by the way, isn't it true? <laughs> when it comes to joy, it's contagious. Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't care if you're six feet apart or not. You're getting it. It's contagious. Am I right? When someone, someone comes in and they're countenance and they're full of joy. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, here you've been again baptized in lemon juice and you're all sour. And, and here comes. Now, first of all, you're not going to warm up to them right away, right? Because you're, you're going through it and you're, and here they come in. Oh, joy, praise the Lord. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, it's contagious. It's contagious. And I got to flip it around. Sorry. The opposite is true too. You can bring somebody into a setting that's full of joy, and you put them with somebody who's been baptized. And I'm going to get some usage out of this lemon juice that we're, while we're doing baptisms in lemon juice. But if, if you let them, they'll, they'll steal your joy from you. Doesn't the enemy come, Jesus said, to steal, kill, and destroy? What's he going to steal? Your car? He doesn't need your car. Some of you are like, man, I wish he would. Somebody would take it. You got a thank you card already written. Dear thief, thank you so much. Sorry, I digress. And steal your joy, kill your hope, and destroy your walk with the Lord. That's what he does. So lastly, he says, he's going to put his finger upon something. Get rid of it. You cannot hope to solve this problem while you are harboring some sin, because you're living a lie. You're walking in darkness. Isn't it true that you can hide in darkness? That's why things are done in the dark. They're not exposed by the light. I guess this illustration works pretty well. You know, when you lift up something that's been on the ground for a long time, it's been dark and all the cockroaches and all of those things that are not going to be in heaven, by the way, I'm pretty sure, are under there. And as soon as you expose them to the light, they're gone. That's what John's talking about. And that ties into ever so beautifully to our last one in verse 7 purifying by His blood. This is going to, again, be next week, Lord willing, when we get to verse 9. But the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us. There is power in the blood. It is so powerful that it can purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's power. There's power in the blood. So powerful is the blood of Jesus that He removes our sin, removes, not covers. That's the Old Testament, kufar in the Hebrew. They would cover until Jesus came. And in the Last Supper, as we refer to it, when He says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sins. What do you mean? the removing of your sins. How far are you removing them? Oh, from the east is still the west, from the east from the west. It's pretty far. Pretty sure that's infinity, right? East. Aren't you glad you didn't say north to south, because they're going to come back around. If, yeah, that's how I think. Pray for me. But 
east to west. No, there, whoa, never to meet again. And that's not all. <laughs> he remembers them no more. Oh, certainly that's hyperbole. No, it's not. No, it's not. I like how one said it. When God sees us, He sees not our sin, but He sees His Son. Because see, the blood of Jesus has paid it all. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us, and we are purified. You know how you feel so good when you're clean? When you get, you put, this is, uh, taking this, this is too much. I'm not going to do this to you. Oh, myself for that matter. But it's that purity, when you're walking in purity. Of course you're going to have pure joy, walking in purity. A pure life is a life of pure joy in the Lord, with the joy of the Lord. You can't hope to ever have that joy if you're not walking in purity. Because, not condemnation, please make this distinction, but the conviction, the heavy hand of the Lord, the, the still, small, refining, convicting voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you know it's not right. And any joy you might muster up is feigned at best. And people can tell, by the way, you're not fooling anybody. You can try to put on the Christian smile. You know, like when you do and you pull in the parking lot. I don't know what it is about the entrance, but it transforms people's countenance. I'm probably speaking about myself. Please don't ask my wife about this. But, you know, because on the highway, just at the stoplight, yeah, my face didn't look like that. And I, I, I drive in and, you know, and, and there's uh, Trevor or Artie or Carl at the gate. Hey, brother, praise the Lord. How you doing? Really? Really? It's an integrity, a purity. And when you're walking in purity, purified, and this is important, we don't purify ourselves. He purifies us by His blood shed in our stead. You know, this is why when we partake together of communion, which we do the first Thursday of every month, and I so look forward to it. And I try in as much as I'm able to leave enough time so that we're not rushing through it, because every time it is such a powerful time together when we celebrate the cup and the bread. But it is a reminder, and that's what Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Why would He say that? Because we need to be reminded that His blood was shed in my stead, and that I am forgiven and cleansed and purified. And though my sins were as scarlet, Isaiah writes, they are white as snow. Even that sin. And people have a hard time with this. Just give me another minute and I'll close with this. I mentioned it, I alluded to it in the prophecy update, but as of late in my time with the Lord, I've been just really struck with this sense of compassion for people in ways that I've never really known before, much to my regret. And it's in the context of how China, bad, Russia, bad. Well, I've been to Russia twice. I love the Russian people. You know, <laughs> Jesus loves them more than I ever could. Jesus died for the Russian people. Yeah, bad Russia. The Chinese. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Jesus loves the Chinese too. Can I go to the Middle East for the Arabs? No need? 
He loves the Arabs too. You're looking at one. What's my point in closing? Here's my point in closing. I want to give you hope in closing. Um, and I'm going to take it one step further, and I hope I don't jam your gears or crash your hard drive uh, when I say this. But even when it comes to the LGBTQ plus transgender, no, wait, 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 just wait, wait, hang, hang in there with me. Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. Um, do you remember when Paul was writing to the Corinthians uh, about how that, and he, he lists all of these horrifying, mortifying sins, sexual immorality, you know, like horrible things. And then he says, homosexuality, ooh. And then he says, as were some of you. Wait. You mean there were homosexuals in the church there in Corinth? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to that church. Well, okay then. They're saved though, because Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them. You know, not so much here in Hawaii, and, and for this I am so grateful. But there are places, in fact, on the mainland, <laughs> where your ethnicity is a deal breaker. Uh, oh, they're what nationality? You know, God's got a sense of humor. He had me plant my first church in Hayden, Idaho, a stone's throw away from the Aryan Nation compound. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, and, you know, white supremacist, uh, anti-Israel. And he calls an Arab pastor who's pro-Israel to plant a church there. I'm telling you, God's got a, a great sense of humor. But you know, in that church, we had a guy, true story, came in, he was handing out a book on Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelicum. And it was the whole thing about the Aryan seed. And I had one of my elders bring me a copy of the book. He said, this guy's handing this out. Well, that didn't end well. <laughs> Let's just put it like that. I was younger. I had more energy then. But that, that guy never darkened the door of our church again, because he was kind of recruiting people into this white supremacy. And here I am, <laughs> Middle Eastern. We had no African Americans in there, hardly any Asians. Please don't take offense. I love you very much, all of you in your ethnicities. But it was, in fact, they did a census. It was 90, I'm not exaggerating again here, it was 90 plus percent Anglo-Saxon white in that particular area. And even my wife and I, you know, we're interracial. <gasps> that was a thing. No. No. The blood of Jesus, you know, it's replete throughout Scripture, but particularly in the book of Revelation, every tribe, every nation, every tongue is going to be praising the Lord. There's no distinction black, white, yellow, red, blue, purple, whatever color you want to put on there. And please, lastly, don't let the enemy or even others unduly influence you, because those people, those people are not the enemy. They're the mission field. They're the mission field. Okay, I'm done. We made it. You survived. Stand. Lovely, seamless closing. Yeah. Capono, come on up. Lord, I did my best. It's you now. You have to, by the Holy Spirit, take it from here and do the rest and begin that process that was started here today and as arduous and maybe even tedious as it might be, just 
You've got to build this into our lives, apply this to our hearts. Lord, we want what John is writing about here. We want what you said you came to give us. We want what Paul describes and all of the men and even women of God that you mightily used and spoke through concerning joy. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, he knew a thing or two about depression, yet when you get to the end of some of those psalms, oh, joy unspeakable. His circumstances hadn't changed, but he had changed because you changed him. You renewed his hope and rekindled his joy and Lord, rekindle our joy. Renew our joy. We want the fullness of joy. So would you grant us that joy, please, Jesus? We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.